Hello and welcome to the Northgate Podcast. Get ready for an exploration of the Gospel of Matthew in our new message series, Love God and Love People. The title of this study of Matthew is much more than a catchphrase. It is a call to action. We'll dig into what it means to love God and love others, even when life gets complicated. We want to push you to rethink how you live out the Gospel message in your own day-to-day life. Let's have a listen. Morning, church. It's good to be with you this morning. I'm Pastor Vern, and it's my privilege to uh, bring the message this morning. So we are in a series from the book of Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew. We're going to look at some uh, some of the passages in Matthew for the next number of weeks, taking these up to Easter. Last week, we talked about Matthew 5 through 7, and we looked at the Sermon on the Mount, and I tried to give you kind of a, a way to understand the Sermon on the Mount, that it's not uh, the entry requirements into the kingdom, but it is how God's kingdom people are to live. And so we talked about wanting God to free us of the problem of anger or lust or greed and materialism, and how we are to stay in contact with God through prayer um, and not worry so much or Really, we're not supposed to worry at all, but, but that seems like a pretty big task. But we learn, right, not to worry as we put more and more trust and faith in God. And uh, we recognize that Jesus calls us to walk a narrow path in relationship to what the world might say. The world might say, well, this is okay, that's okay, it's not a big deal. But we need to look at everything through the lens of Christ and what he calls us to. So that's what we talked about last week. And then When Jesus finished that sermon and he was coming down the mountainside, the people uh, were amazed, it says, they were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not like their teachers. And that's an important piece, right? What does it mean that, that, that Jesus taught with an authority that their teachers and their rabbis didn't have? Well, I think what it means is that when they listened to Jesus, they recognized they they were listening to someone who could tell them exactly what things meant, right? And and the teachers and rabbis that they normally listened to, they had what I call an attributed authority. Their authority was because of their study of God's word and their listening to God and, and, and hearing God tell them what he wanted them to share. But it was an attributed authority. It wasn't their own authority. They were only speaking based Based on the authority of God. It's, it's kind of like my position as a pastor or Pastor John's position when he's up here preaching or DL. Um, we don't have the authority to tell you anything of our own. We only have the authority to tell you what God has said through his word, what God is communicating. That's an attributed authority. And I think that's what the people were seeing in Jesus, that, that their teachers had this attributed authority, but not Jesus. Jesus had his own authority. He could, he could say it because as he said to them, you've heard the law say, but I say to you, in other words, the law is telling you this, I'm telling you, I created the law, I give the law, and I determine what the law means. It's kind of like what Paul says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 2, where he says he's giving the church instructions by the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. See, he doesn't take the authority on his own. He says, this is by the authority of Jesus that I'm telling you this. Uh, I've always appreciated another place in 1 Corinthians 11 where Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ. In other words, listen, I'm a human being and I might get off track on something. My authority to give to you is only because of what Jesus is doing. If you see me following Jesus, that's something you should pay attention to. If you see me getting off track from that, you should not pay attention to that. So 
All of that to say that the people heard Jesus preach and they knew that there was something very special about his preaching. They were amazed by it. Well, they're about to be amazed uh, by the next thing that Jesus does when he comes down that mountainside because as the title of this message uh, indicates, Jesus is going to heal a leper. Uh, it's a very short passage in the book of Matthew, and if you want to read along with us, I'm going to be in Matthew 8, verses 1 to 4, just four verses, but there's so much uh, that we need to look at in reference to those four verses, and so much that's happening there. It's, a, it's an amazing encounter that Jesus has with a man who has leprosy. It's significant enough that all three of the uh, synoptic gospel writers, and I'll explain that in a second, but Matthew, Mark, and Luke are called the synoptic gospel. Synoptic mean they, they look with one eye. They tell many of the same stories about Jesus, but they don't each tell all the same stories about Jesus. There are differences in, in each of those Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. But when they do include a story, all of them, it means there's something significant about that story. And this story is something that Matthew, Mark, and Luke all include in their gospel. So it's an important story, and we're gonna look at it this morning. My main point is this, Jesus receives and restores those with a bold and humble, a bold faith, excuse me, and a humble heart. Jesus receives and restores those with a bold faith and a humble heart. Now to get us into this uh, story today, uh, I'm going to ask you to take a look at this clip from The Chosen. Not to spoil this beautiful day or anything, huh? <laughs> Come on. It's a leper. Stay back. Cover your mouth. Don't breathe his air. Don't come any closer. It's okay, John. It's okay. Rabbi, 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 if you are willing, you can make me clean. Only if you want to, I submit to you. My sister, she was a servant at the wedding. She told me what you could do. I know you can heal me if you are willing. I knew it. I knew it. 
I knew it. What can I, what can I ever do? Well, do not say anything to anyone. You don't seek your own honor? Please just do me this one thing. But what do I tell people? Go. Show yourself to the priest. Let them inspect you and see that you are cleansed. Make the proper offering in the temple as Moses commanded. And go on your way. Who has an extra tunic? Just one of you, just one of you. That's enough. Green is definitely your color. Oh. <laughs> Not too shabby. <laughs> well, having seen that, let's uh, lead, let's read the uh, passage of scripture from Matthew chapter eight, verses one to four. When Jesus came down from the mountainside, large crowds followed him. A man with leprosy came and knelt before him and said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. Immediately he was cleansed of his leprosy. Then Jesus said to him, see that you don't tell anyone, but go Show yourself to the priest and offer the gift Moses commanded as a testimony to them. You know, God does nothing by accident, and it's not an accident that having finished this sermon on the mount where Jesus explains and describes what a true Christian becomes through relationship with him, that the next thing he does is he demonstrates that through the healing of this leper. Um, it's, a, it's a remarkable thing. It amazes the people. His teaching amazed them. Now his works are going to amaze them. But it's not the only extraordinary healing that happens. And I, I do want to take a moment and point out that the, this healing and the two that follow it immediately in Matthew are all unique in their own way. And they all have a message that Jesus wants to communicate to the people. So there's the healing of this leper, but the next healing is, the, is of a servant of a Roman centurion. Now, a Roman centurion was a, a Roman soldier in charge of a hundred soldiers. So a pretty important person, pretty significant individual. Uh, and he comes to Jesus, the Roman uh, centurion comes to Jesus, and he says that he has a servant back home who was very sick, and he asks Jesus to heal him. And uh, he has so much faith in Jesus' ability to do this that, that he says, you don't even have to come. I know you could just heal him with a word, which is exactly right. And that's exactly what Jesus does. Jesus pronounces this word of healing without going to see the sick servant. And the servant is healed, it says, at that moment. It's a remarkable thing, not only because Jesus heals from a distance, if you will, by his word, but because this is a Roman centurion. This is an occupying person in their land. And most of the Jews would despise the Romans for occupying their land. But Jesus goes from a despised leper to a despised Roman and heals that man's servant. Now, the third healing that Jesus does right after the healing of the, of the servant 
is the healing of a woman. Now, women weren't despised the way that lepers were or the way the Romans were, but they were people of very low status. They were people very low on the, on the ladder of social status in that society. So it's, it's significant that Jesus goes from the leper to a Roman soldier, to a woman, and these are the first three people that Matthew identifies Jesus healing in his gospel. In, in that chapter 8 of Matthew, uh, Matthew writes that Jesus is fulfilling what Isaiah the prophet had written about the Messiah 700 years before. He took up our infirmities and bore our disease. Jesus is establishing the fact that he is the Messiah that the people have been waiting for. He is the Savior the people have been looking for. He has authority over all demons and sickness and disease, and he will soon establish the fact that he has authority to forgive all sins, and he has authority over death itself. This is what Jesus is laying out here. So um, now we're going to look at the healing of the leper in a little more detail. And uh, I actually think that the people who wrote, now I'm not a movie director, but I, I do feel like the people of The Chosen could have made that an even more dramatic scene. Remember that the crowd is with Jesus when this leper approaches them. Knowing how people felt about people with leprosy, how absolutely terrified they were of catching the illness themselves. I think when that leper began to approach this crowd of people and specifically make his way to Jesus, that there would have been a loud gasp and many people would have just started pulling back and moving away from him, probably calling out things like, get away, get away, there's a leper. Jesus, though, he did not move away from him. He moved towards him. That is, that is so um, moving to me that Jesus moves towards a man that everybody else would have been wanting to get away from. You know, Leviticus 13 goes into uh, the skin diseases that the people of Israel were concerned about, and, the, and it describes how they would need to go to a priest, and the priest would need to examine them to see if their skin disease was something that they ought to be alarmed about or was nothing that was going to uh, heal and, and wasn't a problem for people. But if their skin disease was determined to be something like leprosy, then this is what it says in Leviticus 13 that the people who had the illness had to do. They had to wear torn clothes. You saw that in the clip. They had to let their hair be unkempt, cover the lower part of their face, and cry out, unclean, unclean. As long as they have the disease, they remain unclean. They must live alone. They must live outside the camp. They weren't allowed to go into walled cities. They weren't allowed to go into Jerusalem if they had this illness. A person with leprosy had to essentially announce it everywhere they went. If they came across a group of people, one individual or, or 10 or 20, they had to say, unclean, unclean, as a warning to the people that they were approaching. It makes me think of Hester Prine in, in Nathaniel Hawthorne's novel, The Scarlet Letter. Uh, if you know the story, I confess I've not read the whole book, but I know the story in, in large, you know, in, in general terms. She was a woman who was uh, accused and convicted of adultery, and she was required to wear a letter, a red letter A on her clothing for the rest of her life to identify her as an adulteress. Well, that's essentially what happens with the lepers in this society. They had to announce that they were sick people with this awful disease, and they had to do that for as long as they had the disease. In the, in the best light, we understand 
understand that this is a means of protecting the community, right? Protecting the community from, uh, from the contagion associated with the illness. But leprosy is a horrible illness. Uh, and its transmission at that time was not well known and there was no cure for it. It caused disfigurement of the skin and the bones and the facial features. Uh, it attacks the peripheral nervous system so that people with the disease, they lose their sense of, of pain. You know, we think of pain as something we don't want, right? We try to get rid of pain as much as we can. And we forget that pain is a warning system that God has, has given to us to protect us from further injury or to, to move us to get the help that we need because our body is somehow uh, not functioning correctly. Um, Dr. Paul Brand was a uh, Christian, psych uh, Christian physician who studied leprosy for decades. And, uh, and this is what he said. He, he said, I cannot think of a greater gift that I could give my leprosy patients than pain. Because if you can't feel pain, say in your fingers, in your hand, uh, you might very well pour boiling water over your hand and it wouldn't bother you. But it would destroy your skin, it would destroy your tissue, and ultimately you could lose that hand, but you never feel the pain that would tell you this, don't do this, right? Like we, we teach young children, don't touch a hot stove. If they do, you're gonna get burned, it's gonna hurt. Well, people with leprosy lose that ability and that's why they, they uh, can encounter so many more serious uh, problems. Leprosy today is, today is known as Hansen's disease. It still exists. Uh, in 2016, the World Health Organization recorded over 200,000 cases around the world. When Deb took a missions trip to India with uh, Johnny uh, Erickson Tata and her group, uh, they worked with leprosy people in, uh, in India. It was pretty common among the group that they worked with. But the Mayo Clinic says it's not so contagious as once feared. Um, it's not that easily transmitted from person to person. And it's very rare in the US. It's not something we really need to be that concerned about here. And there is treatment for it now. And we can thank God for that. But at the time that this man approached Jesus, it was feared and rules developed to keep people safe. So we saw some of them and the rule about how a person had to dress and they couldn't, they couldn't uh, take care of themselves. They had to look disheveled and dirty and, uh, and so on. They had to announce themselves when they came upon people. Uh, the rule, uh, a tradition uh, developed that if a leper came upon people, again, they had to stay at least six feet apart from them. If they were downwind, or I should say upwind of a group of people, they had to stay 150 feet away from those individuals. One rabbi said that he had no qualms about throwing stones at a leper to drive them away. Uh, that's how people uh, saw this disease and how uh, people were treated who had it. But again, Jesus didn't move away from the leper. He moved towards the leper. Now you can imagine what it took for, for this man with the leprosy to even approach that crowd and come to Jesus, right? You can imagine the emotional and psychological and spiritual uh, devastation that he had been living under. The, the had to have lost all of his self-esteem and carried feelings of worthlessness and fear of rejection everywhere that he went. And that's all in addition to the physical illness that he was uh, dealing with as well. Luke says he was covered in leprosy, so he probably had had this disease for some time. It's a progressive illness, and he had probably had it for some time since he was covered with it. 
hope had to be incredibly hard for this man to hold on to. His identity was probably completely consumed in his illness. The Apostle Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 2, he writes about the Gentiles who, who did not know God. He said they were excluded from citizenship and without hope except for the hope they had in Christ. And that's exactly this man's situation. The only hope he has is in Christ. He's heard about Jesus' ability to heal illnesses and diseases. And he hopes, with a little bit of hope that he may have left, that Jesus can heal him of this disease. So he comes to Jesus with a bold faith, a courageous faith, a faith that is willing to move towards that crowd and risk the rejection and risk the ridicule and risk even having stones thrown at him just to get to Jesus with the hope that Jesus will cure him. He probably prayed about being healed of this constantly and he had never experienced an answer to that prayer. It makes me think of the woman who suffered with the, the issue of bleeding for 12 years. You know this story. Uh, this woman had been bleeding for 12 years. She'd been to all the doctors, spent all of her resources trying to get well. Nobody could help her, but she had heard Jesus could heal. And she makes her way to Jesus again through a crowd, only she doesn't want to call any attention to herself. She doesn't call out or say anything. She just kind of sneaks her way up to Jesus, knowing or believing that if she can touch his clothes, that, that she could be healed. And she gets there and she touches his cloak and she is healed. Of course, Jesus then, you know, does exactly what she didn't want and he calls her out and makes her the center of everybody's attention. But, but you know, this is what she does. Now, this leper, he had no opportunity to do that. Everybody would have recognized him as a leper. He couldn't quietly sneak up to Jesus. He had to do this with a bold and courageous faith. And that's what he does. He gets up to Jesus and it says he knelt down before him. And the word for knelt is proskuneo. And in, in the New Testament, proskuneo almost always refers to worship. So we have the sense that this man came to Jesus and knelt down in worship before Jesus. He believes in what he has heard and he's praying that Jesus will heal him. And he says to him, if you are willing, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Now, Mark and Luke say that the man pleaded for healing at this point. And then Mark's account says that after the man knelt and begged for his healing, it says Jesus was indignant. Now, I want to take a minute on this um, because if you read the NIV, uh, that's what you'll read about this in Mark, that Jesus was indignant, which is a very puzzling thing, right? Why was Jesus indignant? What was going on? It'd be, then, to be indignant means to be annoyed or upset or angered. So, so what was going on in Jesus that he might have been feeling annoyed, upset, or angered when this man knelt down in front of him and said, if you're willing, you can make me clean. It's very hard to understand this. And, and the explanations that are offered are, well, maybe Jesus was indignant that the man said, if you are willing, like he might be questioning the heart of Jesus. I see it and most people see that statement as a statement of humility. Lord, if you're willing, I don't want to presume that you're going to heal me. I come before you humbly asking for this. Uh, some people think maybe Jesus is just indignant about the fact that he has leprosy, that this illness is, is ravaging people, and that's what he's angry about. But there is one other explanation, and I know we're in a little bit of Bible study right now, but I need to share this with you um, in case you read that and wonder. There's another explanation. Other translations of the Bible, the New Testament, like the King James and the English Standard Version, don't have have the Greek word for indignant there. They have the Greek word for compassion, for filled with compassion, filled with pity. 
So, so there are very, I'd love to go off on a really long tangent here, I can't, but um, as scholars study the early versions of the Bible, the early Greek uh, copies of the, of the New Testament, sometimes they'll come upon copies that have these different words in certain places. It's not very common, but from time to time it happens. So some translators felt that the word for indignant was the word that uh, should be kept there. Others looked at translations that had the word for compassion, and that's what they put in the ESV and the King James. And, and I probably confused half of you. If you want to know more about that, just come talk to me. But the point is, I think probably filled with compassion makes a lot more sense. Jesus is filled with compassion. Because what does Jesus do? He heals the man. And he doesn't do it just with a word, which he could have, right? Nobody would touch a leper. Nobody would touch a leper. And Jesus could have healed with just a word. He could have just said, be healed and you're healed. He did that for the Roman centurion servant. He wasn't anywhere near that man. Spoke the word and the man was healed. But Jesus doesn't just speak the word. He does. He says, be clean. But he also reaches out and he puts a hand on the man. In fact, it says in, in the Bible, he touched him, but that Greek word uh, can mean he took hold of him. He touched him with, with a certain kind of force. In other words, it wasn't just a light pat on the shoulder, but he really put a hand on him. Can you imagine how long it had been since anybody had touched this man or he had touched anybody himself? Probably been years since he'd experienced that. But Jesus touches him and he heals him. It's an incredible act of love and compassion. And, and it's a witness to who Jesus is because everybody understood there's no cure for this kind of illness. The only one who can cure this illness is God. Only God can do this. In fact, there's a story in the Old Testament about leprosy and a man named Naaman. Naaman was a Syrian general. He had leprosy. He also had a, an Israeli servant girl who'd probably been captured in war. And she said to him, if you would go to Israel, there's a man there that could cure you of your leprosy. So this general asks his king for permission to go to Israel. And the king says, sure, go. And I'll give you a letter to take with you. And the letter said, I'm sending my servant Naaman to you so that you may cure him of his leprosy. What's interesting is when the king of Israel read that letter, this is what he said. Am I God? Can I kill and bring back to life? Why does this fellow send someone to me to be cured of his leprosy? See how he's trying to pick a quarrel with me. In other words, the king of Israel knew I can't, nobody here can cure his leprosy. Only God can do that. Well, Naaman does get cured by a prophet of God, okay? But the point is that I'm making is that when the people saw this man that Jesus cured of his leprosy, when they saw that happen, they would have thought in their mind, could Jesus really be God? Could this be God among us? Jesus knew exactly what he was doing in this. And after healing the man of his leprosy, he sends him to the priests at the temple in Jerusalem. Now, he tells the man, don't tell anyone about this. Which, really? <laughs> right? Really? <laughs> One, there's a whole bunch of people that just saw what happened. But Jesus is clearly telling them, as you make your way to Jerusalem, I don't want you to tell anyone about this. Not until you get to the temple and you offer the sacrifices that are prescribed in Leviticus 14 for healings of this kind and show yourself to the priests as a witness. A witness of what? A witness that uh, Jesus is here doing some really incredible things among us. 
right? Including healing my leprosy. Well, I wonder what it was like for this man as he made his walk to Jerusalem. Probably 50, 60 miles of walking. Uh, and this is one of the things I wonder about. He's cured of his leprosy. He's healed, right? It says it was immediate. So just like we saw in the clip, his skin becomes, becomes um, clean again, right? But that's the physical healing. I wonder about what was going on on the inside of him. For example, I wonder if whenever he came upon a group of people, the first thing out of mouth was unclean. And then he had to stop and think, wait a minute. I'm not unclean. I was unclean, but I'm not unclean. But you know, the physical healing can come a lot quicker than the emotional and the spiritual healing. And I just wonder if he didn't wrestle with accepting his new identity as a person who had been cleansed of his disease. Well, there's another interesting thing about this. Because the man did not obey Jesus' instructions to be silent about this, the news about it spread everywhere, and even more people came to Jesus to be healed of their illnesses and their diseases. So the irony that, uh, that we note in this passage is that after this man's healing, um, he is now free to go into the cities and the towns and to commune, you know, to commune with people. He no longer has an illness. But Jesus, the Bible tells us in Mark, could no longer enter a town openly but stayed outside in lonely places because so many people wanted his attention. Jesus was driven out even further into the wilderness, whereas this man could engage with people. It's an interesting juxtaposition of their places in society as a result of Jesus healing this man. Well, there's one more thing we need to talk about for a minute here, and it's, it's the fact that in the Bible, leprosy is used as a representation of sin. You notice that this man is called unclean, not sick. Leprosy is used as a representation of sin, and there are, in fact, some things that are um, similar about the disease of leprosy and the reality of our sinfulness. For example, the bacterium that causes leprosy can lie silently in the body for years before it, it expresses itself in some symptoms. Well, we are all born with a sinful nature. But it may take time, right, before we see that sinful nature being expressed in actual sinfulness. The sinful nature is hidden inside. It's part of our soul. The sinful actions will come out in time if we don't do something about the sinful nature. The second thing is, like leprosy, sin is progressive. Leprosy may start out with just a little patch of skin that is discolored. Sin may start out in small ways, just a word of anger or a lingering look. But left alone, left untreated, sin will progress to more and more sinful actions and attitudes. Small sins become larger ones. Leprosy causes a numbing of the nerves, a loss of feeling. Sin left untreated can make us numb to the reality of sin. I ask you to look around our world today and ask, what, did God, what does God consider sin that many people today are very comfortable with and would no longer consider sinful at all? 
we become numb to what sin is if we don't do something about it. And then finally, like leprosy, sin leads to death. Fortunately, though sin has a leprous effect on us, Jesus can heal all of those who have been ravaged by sin. You know, it, it's just like with a leper. There's a trading of places. Jesus takes on our sinfulness. We receive his righteousness. We trade places with Christ when he paid for our sins on the cross. Jesus is the healer. He can remove the power that sin has over us and he can make us whole in spirit and in mind and in body. We just need to come to him with a bold faith like this man with leprosy did and a humble heart to allow him to make us cleansed, to make us whole. We don't have to go through our lives wearing a big S on our clothing that says sinful. That can be torn off and thrown away through faith in Christ who makes us clean. When we come to Jesus for this kind of healing, the healing of our sinfulness, he gives it to us immediately and completely. We are no longer sinful creatures through Christ. We are righteous and holy and clean. Praise team's going to come out in a minute, and we're going to sing a song. But I'd like to ask you to take a minute or two or three and ask yourself, what do you need to be cleansed of today? First of all, do you have a relationship with Jesus? Do you know Jesus is your Lord and your Savior, the one who is your healer, the one who takes your sinful nature and, and removes that from you and, and replaces that with his righteousness. If you don't know Jesus as your Savior, that's the beginning point. That's the place we start, right? Is to confess our sinfulness to him and let him heal us, let him cleanse us. But if you do know Jesus, what do you need to be cleansed of? Do you, do you need to have worry removed from your life? Are you consumed by fears and you just need to say, Lord, heal me. Take this worry away from me. Is it a sin that you need Jesus to remove from you? Is it a sin you've been struggling with? You know you're struggling with it, and maybe someone else does. Maybe they don't, but you know in your heart this is a sin that just keeps attacking you, and you need to say to Jesus, Jesus, I need to be cleansed of this sin. Take it away from me. Are you willing to come to Jesus with a bold faith and a humble heart and ask him to heal you? As the praise team sings and, and we listen or sing along with them, I want to encourage you to think about those things. And I also want to encourage you to do this. This prayer rail is open. If you need to ask Jesus for something today, whether it's a relationship with him or, or a cleansing that you need from him, and you feel God leading you to it, come on down and pray. And know that Jesus one desire is to make you new, to make you restored, to make you cleansed. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that that is your heart's desire. We thank you that the whole purpose in your coming was to show us the love of God, the mercy of God, and the, and the power that God has to heal us, to change us, to remove all the disease, whether it's, it's physical or sinful, 
spiritual, all the disease from us and to, and to make us clean and whole and well. We thank you that you love us that much and we pray that you will continue to, to speak that message to us because we are forgetful people and we need your Holy Spirit to keep doing his work in us and we offer ourselves to you today for that in Jesus' name. Amen. If you've spoken to Jesus about something this morning, then I really want you to take this to heart, what Jesus says to you. Whatever you have brought to him, whatever you are asking him to remove from you, his words to you are the same as he spoke to that man with leprosy. I am willing. Be clean. Be clean. If you've given it to Christ, you are cleansed. Don't walk out of here or walk through your life like you're wearing a big S on your clothes that says sinful because you're cleansed through Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Receive the benediction now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. God bless you. We want to thank you for listening to the Northgate podcast today. We hope that this message inspires and encourages your faith. We hope you have a great week and we'll see you next time.